The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Thursday edition of PFT PM. It's not even a Friday afternoon. Bad news dump. It's a Thursday Late morning, early afternoon leak from Shefty that the NFL has suspended Patrick Peterson six games under the PED policy. We're going to start there as we go through some of the developments in the NFL since we signed off with PFT Live and then PFTOT earlier today. The Peterson thing is surprised. There's been a weird vibe going on with the team and Peterson. Suggestions of a trade suggestion that somebody said something that pissed him off, which has caused him to be away from the team. Now he's eligible to be with the team until the final preseason game. Then he's suspended for six regular season games. And it was strange how it was reported. Schefter initially said eight games. Then he said six, and Peterson has dropped his appeal, which created the impression that there was some sort of a negotiated compromise. But I don't see anything in the PED policy that allows for an eight-game suspension. Four games, two games, six games, ten games. No eight-game. So I don't know what happened. And it was funny and a bit ironic that Schefter in his story at ESPN.com said that the details, as usual, aren't known because those are confidential. Well, so is the fact that the guy's facing a suspension. That's confidential, too. It's all confidential until the league announces it. So don't act, don't act like you are respecting his confidentiality while you are simultaneously breaching his confidentiality. You shouldn't even be reporting it until the league announces it. So if you don't know, you don't know. But don't create some excuse make it look like well you know i could tell you but these are all confidential everything's confidential shefty all right enough of that what does it mean for peterson who knows he's already kind of in decline and that would be the time when a guy would be tempted to use a ped when you feel like the rest of the league is faster than you when you know the rest of the league is younger than you when you sense that there are other guys better than you other guys who are more like what you were in your prime, there is a temptation. There's a lot of pressure there. You got to maintain that lifestyle. Got to maintain that revenue. What are they going to pay you after you're done? You know, a lot of these guys get used to making huge money and they just assume that they'll find a way between now and the time their career ends to make huge money somewhere else. Very few do. Which is why you got to get paid what you can while you can. Now they could still trade him. They could trade him now and let him get up to speed with another team, and then he's gone for six regular season games. They could trade him later. There'll still be a couple of Sundays left before the trade window closes. But we've been wondering what's going to happen with Peterson and the Cardinals. We now know one thing. He won't be with the Cardinals 
for the first six weeks of the season. We don't know anything more than that. And we don't know whether he will ever play again with the Arizona Cardinals. MDS pointed out that this necessarily ends Peterson's run of consecutive Pro Bowls. He and Barry Sanders, the two youngest players ever to make it to eight straight Pro Bowls. If you are suspended under the PED policy, you are automatically ineligible to make it to the Pro Bowl. So, and look, you could argue the last couple of years have been reputation, but that speaks to how good Peterson was at his peak. And it's hard to assess how good a corner is if they're not throwing at him. If the rest of the defense stinks, well, we'll just play against 10, and those 10 suck. Or, I don't know, seven or eight of them aren't very good. You know what I'm saying. All it takes is one weak link to destroy a defense. But a lot of change in Arizona, and it feels like the latest change is going to be no more Patrick Peterson, although that hasn't happened officially yet. It feels like it's moving in that direction. Pernell McPhee back with the Baltimore Ravens at a time when they've let plenty of guys who had been there for a long time go. It's odd to see a guy come back. He had left for the Chicago Bears in 2015. Spent four years with the Ravens before he walked away. The Ravens do not hesitate to let guys walk away in free agency. They're always confident they're going to find somebody else who can step in. Usually it's somebody from within. But they're bringing a guy in from the outside. The price is surely right, and they go from there. Ezekiel Elliott is a guy that we have been lobbying to draw a line in the sand and get paid. We're not trying to cause trouble here. Sims and I talked about that earlier. He says he's not worried about his contract. He should be. He says, I haven't worn down yet. He will. Now's the time. In your prime. How many great years does he have left? This is year four. Look at what they did to DeMarco Murray. That's the one thing that you say. I'm not worried about my contract, DeMarco Murray. I'm not worried about them chewing me up and spitting me out, DeMarco Murray. I'm not worried about them failing to reward me financially if I set the single-season rushing record for the franchise, DeMarco Murray. Because that's exactly what happened to Murray. Fourth year in the NFL. Fourth year. Led the league in rushing, set the franchise single-season rushing record, a franchise that has boasted the likes of Emmitt Smith and Tony Dorsett. DeMarco Murray had more than either of those guys in a single season. And they didn't sign him. For Ezekiel Elliott, I think he has to worry about the Cowboys squatting on him through five years and then maybe franchise tagging him once and then saying, DeMarco Murray. And I have no problem with Ezekiel Elliott holding out. We are well evolved past the days of you have a contract that you must honor, especially a guy who didn't really get to negotiate his contract. Even then, though, the point I will always make in response to the get-off-my-lawn crowd that would say, you know, these guys signed contracts. They're supposed to honor them. There are two contracts at play, the contract that the player signs with the team and the contract that the union has signed with the league. And that contract gives rights to a player 
over and above the rights contained in his individual contract. And there are things the player can do within the confines of the broader contract that allow him to exert leverage if he chooses to do so, that allow him to withhold the services if he chooses to do so. It's not a normal contract where if you breach it, you immediately set yourself up for litigation. You're in violation of your contract. The CBA allows you to violate your contract. Just like on one hand, the CBA allows a team to tear up a contract and not pay it. The CBA allows a player to disregard a contract and not show up for work. Now, there are consequences. Daily fine during training camp or if you show up for training camp and then you leave the team has all the leverage there's a certain way you have to do it there's a certain cost to doing it but you have the right to do it they can't force you to show up they can't force you to play if you're willing to incur the financial cost of holding out you can do it and he should sorry cowboys fans he should. I know you want your guy to be there. I know this is the year that they're going to go get them some glory hole. He should do it. All the more reason to do it. Emmett Smith held out into the regular season in 1993. The Cowboys lost both games. Jerry Jones caved. The Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Do it. I admire Ezekiel Elliott's loyalty to the organization, but there's a certain amount of naivete that's going on here. They say they're going to take care of you. Let's see them do it. Because they may feel differently a year from now. Well, you know, Zeke, you didn't play as well this year as you did in past years. We thought you would. We were ready. We had the money budgeted for 2020. But, you know, there's just something that's not there. And Dak Prescott's gotten a lot better, and we made the investment in him, and we just can't do it. So that would be my... Very strong advice if it were my son, my friend, my nephew, my cousin, my client, whoever. Do not show up. Leave the off-season program. Stay away until they give you your long-term financial reward. Don't take a chance of being stranded, by the way. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested. It's free of charge and one of the many services available. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the exact battery for your car or your truck. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Sims would be proud of that. I need to do more podcasts with Sims. He does his unbutton thing. I do this. Every once in a while, we merge. We're talking about possibly doing a joint unbuttoned PFT PM on Mondays during football season before I leave Connecticut. It's got a lot to do on a Monday coming off of a Sunday. We may be a little cooked. We do PFT Live, maybe skip PFT OT that day, and then do Unbuttoned. And then I hit the road. Get home a little bit later than I'm used to. I like getting home, being able to relax a little bit, work a little bit, work out, then go down to the barn and have a little whiskey and have a cigar and watch the game. But we're talking about that. Because I had fun this week when we did the Unbuttoned and PFTPM joint podcast on Monday. Let me know what you think about that possibility, if you're listening to this. People do. I still, I, I feel like I'm talking into nothing and that nobody listens. But it, I'm, I'm constantly reminded that people are listening. So thank you for listening. 
I would probably do it anyway. I don't know, because what else am I going to do? It's late afternoon. I already got seven or eight stories posted today. I took my nap. I'm ready to stay up until midnight, midnight to 1230. I, you know, it occurred to me this morning, this is probably not a healthy existence. Think about what I have done to myself physically over the last three years, what this has evolved into. Up until 12 or 1230, up at 520, and along the way, I wake up naturally at around 3.30, stumble into a guest room and sleep the rest of the night there and sometimes don't fall right back to sleep so the alarm doesn't wake up my wife. I don't have any problem with that. I'm not complaining. Up at 5.20, shower, shave, shampoo, and the other one, if needed. <laughs> Try to post a story while I finalize the outline for radio. 5.58 a.m., put the cans on. You know what the cans are. The cool kids in radio call the headset the cans. Put the cans on. 6.02, off we go. Three segments of radio, upstairs for a fourth segment. Two hours of PFT Live on TV. PFT OT after that. Come downstairs, depending upon what day it is. A little bit of radio, post some stories. Try to get somewhere between five and eight stories posted before taking my one-hour afternoon nap. Today, I slept a little bit longer than an hour. Good for the body. See what's going on in the afternoon, PFT, PM, back at it, dinner, work out at some point, keep cranking, lather, rinse, repeat, go to bed between 12 and 12.30. I, I guess I enjoy it. I, I guess I do. I don't really think about it much. You just keep doing it. Beats the hell out of working. I like writing the stories. I like covering what's going on in the NFL. I like that feeling of, you know, as you post more and more and you see your traffic going up and put videos in so people can see, you know, you just, you, it's just, it's, it's a nonstop publication. You're never done. There's never a magazine. There's never a newspaper. There's never a point where you can say, ah, only at the end of the day. And even then it continues. We got Curtis Crabtree on late at night. It continues. It's never over. It just keeps going and going and going. It's the, the conveyor belt of chocolates. We managed to keep up with the chocolates. We get them boxed, and a few get eaten, and some fell on the floor, but we keep going. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just, maybe, maybe I do need more sleep because I'm just kind of babbling at this point. I posted earlier today the item from the Associated Press. New Jersey has taken $2.64 billion in bets since sports wagering became illegal a year ago Tuesday, but it still took a while for New Jersey to get it up and running. So it hasn't been a full year yet, but $2.64 billion. And I can't imagine that eventually, I don't know how many states have, will do it. Florida had some law passed that makes it very hard to do it. It's a combination of Disney and the, the casinos owned and operated by Native American interests that came together to get a law voted on last November that makes it very difficult to to ever have sports wagering in Florida. But, you know, if you're at a point where the people in the panhandle in the northern part of the state are driving across the border to bet on sports in Georgia or wherever else, whatever other states are on the border, my geography sucks. Oklahoma? At some point, that puts pressure. That That's where the pressure to to join the crowd comes from. And I've seen that over the last 40 years. It started with a, a simple daily three number lottery, the daily number, whatever it was. 
and then it's continued with scratch-off tickets. Because what happens is, and I grew up in an area where you had Ohio, seven minutes to the west, and Pennsylvania, 12 minutes to the east. So whether it was gasoline, lottery tickets, whiskey, whatever, if there was a better deal to be had on the other side of either the state line or the river, state line to the east, river to the west, you would just get in the car and go. People used to drive over to Ohio because the gas was cheaper there because the tax on gas was cheaper there. And that creates a lot of pressure on the state that you're in to either catch up with what the other states are doing or get ahead of them. So, you know, the early phase of legalized gambling, get ahead of the states that are close to you, especially if you are in a state that borders a lot of other states. West Virginia got active with this early because Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, Maryland, all right there. Carolina, not that far away. Start sucking people in. Get more money. And more and more states will adopt it. And I think within the next few years, there's going to be 35 to 40. And it'll be easy to do. You'll be able to bet on your phone. They're working on ways to reduce the latency, the lag when you watch on TV, so you can do real-time wagering. And my understanding from the league's perspective, NFL and the other sports leagues, they don't expect to make a ton of money off of this relative to what they already make. But this is a way to ensure that there will be engagement in a game that people otherwise wouldn't care about. Just like what fantasy football did. Before fantasy football, you cared about your favorite team. You cared about the teams that competed against your favorite team. And then maybe there was another team that you just thought was interesting or, you know, big game on. So you want to tune in for a big game. Fantasy football changes all that. Your interest extends to almost the entire league because in any given week between your team and the team you're facing, what, 20 teams or more? And then you're keeping an eye on how the opponents in your league are doing and who they need and the opportunity to wager in real time while watching football is a way to get people to watch more football. And it makes the property more valuable. It makes the TV rights more valuable if people are watching it. And that's always been part of it via illegal gambling, but the legalized gambling, it draws in the people. Now, now, now here's the thing. How many people who aren't already gambling will just because it's legal. Is there a percentage? Because you've got the people who will gamble even if it's illegal. You've got the people who will never gamble even if it's legal. You've got the people who would gamble if it were legal. And then you've got, yeah, that's what we're looking for. That's, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm overcomplicating this, this graph I'm trying to put together in my brain. Three categories. The people who are already gambling, even though it was illegal, they're going to gamble anyway. The people who aren't gambling and won't gamble even if it's legal, they're not going to gamble anyway. The middle is the people who would gamble if it was legal. How big is that group? Basically, are the people who already would have been gambling, are they already gambling? Now, there's still a way for the NFL to, to make some money off of that through endorsement products and being the conduit for the legalized wagering. I said not that long ago, you'll be able to pull up, and I've said this not that long ago on this podcast, pull up the Bears app and press a button and you can step right into the portal for placing bets legally and 
legitimately. How many people who aren't betting because it's illegal and because it's not readily available would be betting in this new world? We're going to find out. I mean, $2.64 billion in legal sports wagers in New Jersey. That's for all sports. But the money's out there. And sports finally doing what they can to get their arms around the cash. And look, the world hasn't changed dramatically yet, but it will. It will. And the big concern for the NFL, as I have said time and time again, if you continue to have bad calls, if there continues to be a sense that the leagues aren't doing enough to embrace replay, just like last night, the hand pass in blue sharks that allowed the sharks to win in overtime replay review not able to overturn it the four officials on the ice miss it that's not an acceptable outcome especially not if there were bets that had been made from coast to coast or mostly from coast to coast and i've said that the tipping point before congress really gets fired up about officiating errors that result in the wrong bet winning and the wrong bet losing, I've said 35 states, so we'll see. There's an angle to the Kyle Rudolph thing. I haven't written about this yet. I picked up some information today. This whole Kyle Rudolph situation has been postured as the Vikings draft Irv Smith out of Alabama in the second round, and then instantly the Vikings apparently putting out this idea that They're expecting phone calls for the likes of Kyle Rudolph, Xavier Rhodes, and Trey Waynes. Now, that report had the Vikings' fingerprints all over it. That's not other teams saying, oh, yeah, you know what? We're going to call the Vikings about these three core veteran players. No, this is the Vikings putting the word out there. Well, you know, we expect to get these phone calls. Maybe we'll take the calls. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll trade these guys. Maybe we won't. We don't know at this point. It's kind of a clunky effort to try to get interest drummed up in trading. You want the phone to ring. You want people who wouldn't have otherwise thought those guys were available to say, shit, they're available, I'm calling. Nearly three weeks later, it hasn't resulted in any serious interest in trades for Rudolph or Waynes or Rhodes. And through it all, Rudolph has been the core here. There's a dance going on. Rudolph wants... A raise wants an extension. The Vikings and Rudolph had negotiated an extension. That fell apart. Mike Zimmer makes that ominous statement on Monday about, I love all my players. I want them all to be here, but sometimes business gets in the way. You've got Rudolph telling Sid Hartman that he's too young to take a pay cut. He's absolutely not taking a pay cut. Now I'm being told that it's not about a pay cut. It's about the value of an extension. I don't know that I buy it, but that's not being told. that the Vikings aren't asking him to take a pay cut. The Vikings have offered Rudolph a pay raise on a four-year extension. Pay reduction has never been discussed, offered, or mentioned. They've offered him a raise, and they've made him an offer that actually would make him in the top three or four tight ends in the league. Well, if that's the case, why isn't somebody calling up and trying to trade for him? If the Vikings are willing to give this guy a raise, if that's the quality that Rudolph still has, and look, I I think they should keep him. 
I'm not saying they should get rid of him. I'm just trying to decipher where this is all going. But why isn't somebody else clamoring to trade for him if that value is there? I think it's a lot to put all your eggs in the Irv Smith basket. He could get injured. He could be unproven. He is unproven. He could be not good. And it's a nice safety blanket to have in the event that Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are covered or if one of them gets injured. A couple of years ago, remember when the Vikings had that dink and dunk? If you need five yards, we'll pass for five yards. If you need 15 yards, we'll pass for five yards. The check down offense, Sam Bradford generated the highest single season completion percentage in in league history because all he did was throw to Kyle Rudolph. So it just it adds to the sense that something weird is going on here. I don't know where this is going to go, but I feel like something weird is going on with the Minnesota Vikings and Kyle Rudolph, and we'll see how it all plays out as the season approaches. Rudolph wants clarity sooner than later. I mean, if the Vikings really do want to keep the guy, if they're trying to extend him, now I think what they may be hoping to do is extend him in a way that reduces his cap number this year. When you're in the last year of your contract, there isn't much you can do to knock down a guy's cap number. You have to extend it. You give him $10 million this year in the form of a signing bonus. It's a four-year contract, and you get a minimum salary, and it drives the cap number down this year. That's what they would like to do. And Rudolph, look, hey, get paid while you can. I say that all the time. Get paid while you can can when you're in a car make sure you put on your seat belts we know the excuses by now i'm not going very far i'm in a rush it's uncomfortable sometimes i just forget yep yep but there's no there's never a good excuse for not putting on your seat belt and if you ever use any of those excuses you're putting yourself at risk for serious injury or death in 2017 more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes 51% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes were not wearing seat belts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seat belt is the best defense in a crash. Even if you're in the back seat, buckle up. If you're in the back seat of any vehicle, ride sharing, Uber, Lyft, cac- uh, taxi cab, buckle up. Also, cops are looking for people who aren't buckled up. They can spot it. They can see it. They take classes in how to spot it. They'll pull you over. They'll give you a ticket. In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. Do the smart thing. Buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket paid for by our friends at NHTSA. All right, let's get to some questions here. Let's see what we got. I, I, I gave late notice today. I didn't really do it on purpose. But, you know, some days I just don't want to wade through 50 questions because I feel like I, I want to answer all of them. But... I, I'm, I'm seeing now, by the way, before we get to the questions, apparently Patrick Peterson was upset with the Cardinals because they wouldn't redo his money so he wouldn't lose so much money during his suspension. That's the Tom Brady escape hatch. Patriots did that with Brady the year he was suspended for Deflategate. Signing bonus, reduce the salary so you lose less while you're being suspended. So this has been percolating for a while. Patrick Peterson has known this is coming for a while. So that's what pissed him off. Now, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do a simple restructuring? Reduce his 
his his uh well see the problem he's only got two years left i don't know how much you can do to reduce and save but this would have been a perfect time to sign him to an extension if you want him maybe they don't want him but that's that's the thing apparently that that pissed him off they led us to believe that someone said something that like offended him. No, what was said was, no, we're not going to redo your contract. That's what offended him. Not the the substance, not the, you know, not 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 the comment itself, just the answer. All right, let's see what we got here. PFTPM Posse, is there an actual rule against tanking in the NFL? Yeah, there is. I mean, it's integrity of the game. Anything that anyone does that would undermine the integrity of the game. No different than the rule against removing air from a football. The commissioner has broad powers to combat any affront upon or assault against the integrity of the game. If you're not trying to win a game, you are undermining and violating the integrity of the game. We know the Buccaneers did it in the last game of the 2014 season. They were leading by double digits at the half, removed more than half of their starters. Saints came back and won the game. The Buccaneers nailed down the number one overall pick in the draft. And, you know, I've made that argument with Sims before when he says there's no tanking in the NFL. And his response is, well, it didn't work for them. Winston hasn't been very good. Well, that's not the point. The point is they did it. The temptation is there to do it. And I'm telling you, it's good business to do it. There's been talk of Jeopardy James getting involved in sports because Jeopardy James was able to tear the game down, build it back up from the standpoint of what it takes to hack the game, what it takes to beat the game, what it takes to win the game. The NFL, the long game of being successful, once you know that a season is lost, lose as many games as you can because the higher you draft, the better off you're going to be the next year. It's the easiest and most obvious hack to the game that's out there. Once you have done the advanced analytics, I'm not talking about when you are mathematically eliminated. You come up with a way of gauging your actual percentage chance of making it to the playoffs. And it takes all the factors into account. It's a complicated formula that depends on your schedule, your record, everybody else's record, the tiebreakers. You come up with a reliable number that tells you currently what your chances are of making it to the playoffs. And with each passing loss, obviously, in each passing week, that number is going to go down and down. There's a threshold where even if you're still mathematically alive, you decide as an organization, once we get below X percent, that's the point where we empty the bench, we, we put the starters aside, we tell the world that what we're doing now is evaluating the players on our team, for the purposes of seeing who should be here next year and whether or not any of these guys are going to be contributors. I, I've described it in the past as an extended preseason for the next regular season. Get guys reps, get guys ready, see what guys have. And that's smart too. Whatever that number is, whatever that percentage is, once you fall below that percentage, once you believe with confidence based upon the formula that Jeopardy James puts together to help you determine your reliable percentage chance of making it. Once you dip below that, implement the tanking initiative. It's good business. Get your guys ready for next year and get you in a position where 
you're getting the higher pick. It's not just the number one pick. It's just the higher pick. Look at everything the Jets had to give up to move from six to three last year. And if they had just lost like one more game, I remember going back and looking at it, but they're all clustered together with very, very similar records. It wouldn't have taken much for the Jets to get to number three over number six without giving up extra picks to get there. And who gives a shit if you're five and 11 versus four and 12 versus three and 13? You're either playoffs or not playoffs. Now, I know in some situations, especially a team like the Browns last year, seven, eight, and one, even without a playoff berth was a big deal. But people forget. All the people remember is playoffs or not playoffs. So there is a rule against it, but there is every reason to do it without question. And I think that's why the NFL won't do a draft lottery with weighted percentages to increase your chance of getting the first overall pick based upon how many losses you have, because that's the moment where they recognize that it does make sense to tank. It's good to be bad. They don't want people to know that. They don't want that to be part of the conversation, especially in an era of legalized gambling. PFD, PM policy, are any teams at risk of or have been at risk of not meeting the minimum salary cap spend since it was implemented? Were teams not doing it prior to it being implemented? If so, what's the point? I mean, I'd have to research it, right? I usually don't look at these questions until it's time to do the podcast. It's a four-year rolling average where teams must spend 89% of the cap on that four-year rolling average. Now, the total league expenditure has to be 95% of the available salary cap space. And if that doesn't happen, then the league has to pay over extra money. And I don't know how that works from a where-does-the-money-go type of a thing. But I, teams have, have been in a spot where they've had to spend a lot of cash. It's not cap space, it's cash. There's a difference between spending cash and chewing up cap space. You can spend a lot of cash in one year. You give out a lot of signing bonuses. Those are cap dollars that don't hit this year. A $10 million signing bonus on a four-year contract only counts $2.5 million against the cap that year. But you've spent $10 million in cash. So I remember like the Raiders had to spend that cash the last time around, the year that you settle up. I think this is the year that you settle up. I think it's this year because it was 11, 12, 13, 14. I don't know. I, I got to go back and look at the CBA. 15, 16, 17, 18. But it's, 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 it's I, I, I don't know. It's not a huge issue because teams are satisfying that minimum threshold. We're only talking about 89 cents on the dollar. I have to look it up and see where it currently stands. But the teams have done it because if you don't, you have to pay over the money anyway. So you may as well give it to players. And uh, the bottom line is that spending floor, and I've said this a time or two, it's an opportunity to just pour profit right into your pocket. Because on a $180 million salary cap, that's $20 million a year that you don't have to spend. $20 million a year that you can pocket, that you can just call profit. So one thing the NFLPA should do is try to increase the spending floor. But that's one thing that the teams will fight. And, and the lower spending floor, that allows teams like the Bengals, the teams with less 
revenue that isn't shared to survive. And I think teams have realized, you know, you don't have to spend $180 million. You don't have to be up to the cap to have a team that can be competitive. It's easier in football to have a competitive team without a payroll full of superstars. But there is a gap where it becomes conspicuous. And if you would get rid of the salary cap, you would get rid of the salary floor. And there would be some teams that would try to pull it off with a bunch of draft picks, undrafted rookies, low-level free agents, and let's just slap it all together and see whether or not the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Or whatever the, whatever the cliche is. You know what the cliche is. Basically, they play better than you would suggest if you added them all up and took it this guy by this guy by this guy. This team's going to stink. Hey, you know what? They find some sort of magic when it's time to play together. But that's a lot longer than whatever the saying properly is. PFTPM Posse, we know that Jerry is always willing to do hard knocks, so just make the Cowboys do it every year or every few years or make it the winner of the Super Bowl. I, I Look, I, I just think the NFL needs to quit doing it. I guess the NFL likes to have any talking point out there, but every year we end up spinning our wheels about who the hell is going to do hard knocks. The NFL wants that check from HBO, but it makes it a pain in the ass every year to figure out who's going to do it. And they've got this formula that exempts teams, but the teams who are left over still don't want to do it. I mean, look, you've either committed to this or you haven't. Maybe they need to have a formula that identifies one team every year, and there's no opportunity to say, pick them instead. Just make a, come up with a short straw formula. Do something. Do it randomly every year. Among the teams that, that have the exemption. Or that don't. You've got five teams left. All right, we're going to do a random generator and one of those teams is going to be it. And we don't care how much you complain about it, you're going to be it because you have to do it. Otherwise, don't do it. I wouldn't miss it. But I really would love it if a team that was dead set against doing it had to do it. Now that would be reality TV. Dr. J144, what would stop Patrick Peterson from coming out with a statement lying about what he tested positive for to make it look more favorable or like an accident because the NFL doesn't share details of the failed test? Wouldn't that be good for Patrick's PR? They changed the rules, I think, in the last CBA. Now, after the last CBA, see, there were a couple of years that went by before they finalized the drug and recreational, the PED and recreational drug policy. The NFL can come out and correct the record if the player lies. So that, that's what stops him from doing it. And I think sometimes they're very creative in how they word it, so they're not lying per se, but they're not being completely forthcoming. But if there is a lie that's told, the NFL can come out and say, no, that's not true. At The Real Forno, my fiancé decided to go to Mancini's for her birthday dinner. Do you have any drink recommendations for my filet? I had their house wine, which was good, but I'm not a huge wine guy. Any recommendations? Look, Cabernet with filet, man. I don't know what else you would drink with a filet. Cabernet with the filet. And I like how they pour the wine at Mancini's in St. Paul. They fill it all the way to the top of the glass. That's the old school Italian way. Not that half a glass and let it breathe bullcrap. Fill it all the way to the top. Fill it up. The glasses aren't real big, but it's a neat effect. And every once in a while, when we're having wine here, we decide to pour it Mancini style. The problem is the glasses here are a little bit bigger. So all it takes is one glass, and you're asleep out on the on the patio. 
Another one from at the real four. No, why do NFL teams let GMs they plan on firing run the draft and free agency seems very counterintuitive. Yeah, I don't understand that. And I remember when the Texans did it with Charlie Casterly because Bob McNair did not want to endure the embarrassment of firing both his initial coach and initial GM after the same horrendous season. They were two and 14 in 2005. I had reported, and it got Casterly pissed off at the time, and he called me up and yelled at me, but I had reported because I had heard from a good source within the organization that Casterly had been neutered, that he really wasn't running the draft. They were letting him act like he was and act like he was retiring, resigning, whatever the term was, trying to get a job in the league office, a job he didn't get. I don't know if it was the executive VP of football operations, but he was leaving the Texans to pursue a job at the league office, and he didn't get it. I mean, who does that? Who quits their job? for a better job until they get the better job, right? That's just cover for, I got fired. So I don't think that was the case with Mike McCagnan and the Jets. I think Christopher Johnson initially decided to keep McCagnan, had some misgivings once McCagnan and Adam Gase started working together, eventually decided to ride it out through the draft, but had to have tentatively decided at some point before the draft the change was going to be made. There were too many people who knew that McCagnan was out. It is one hell of a power play that Adam Gase pulled off, whether he meant to do it or not. It was a great, great move. Because now, think about it. He had three years as a head coach with the Dolphins, made the playoffs one year, got fired after year three, had a losing record overall for the three seasons. Crash lands with the Jets. Wasn't their first choice. And now here we are. He's in charge. And I think he's going to end up having, as a practical matter, final say. They may have to put final say in writing for the GM in order to hire who they want. But I think at the end of the day, the final say is going to belong to Adam Gase. It's kind of like what happened in Miami. I've used the Eric Mangini, George Kikinis example in Cleveland. And that blew up because Kikinis actually believed he had final say. And he, he didn't. And Mangini ran him out. When Bill Parcells became the VP of football operations with the Dolphins and they hired Jeff Ireland away from the Cowboys, they gave Jeff Ireland final say, but Parcells ran the show. The final say, as a practical matter, was subject to the whims and the wishes of Bill Parcells. And I think the same thing is going to happen in New York, that Gase is running the show. At Leapers 500, did Sims buy you the steak yet? No, he didn't. I was in town Sunday and Monday. Now, Monday night, we had an NBC function. Sunday night, I, I had dinner with my wife and my nephew and his girlfriend, so I, di I didn't have a chance for him to buy me the steak. He's going to owe me the steak. I'm going to attach interest to the steak. He's going to have to add courses, add appetizers, add sides. It's eventually going to be like a you know, 23-course meal by the time he finally pays up. At Leapers 500, when players test positive for PEDs, is there an aspersion cast on their careers with other players? What new testing regime does Peterson now face? Do they test him during his suspension? Yeah, he's he's in an accelerated testing window now. Now, th there's random testing year-round for PEDs. For substance abuse policy drugs like marijuana, you just get that one random test, but you know when the window is. It's from April 20 until early August. You get tested one time. After that, you're good to go, unless you're in the program. For PED, you can get randomly tested at any time, but if you're in the program, you definitely get tested more often. And, and there are some players who do look down their noses 
at players who get caught for PEDs. They do view them differently. And that's fine, but I also think there are plenty of players who use PEDs and get away with it. You know, the NFL uses the fact that a certain number of players get caught as proof that the policy works. I, I think that there are plenty who who are using and they have a way to mask it. I, I think the technology for the cheaters is always a half step ahead of the technology for the people trying to catch them cheating. J. Randall, 15, first time PED suspensions are usually four games. Why do you think Peterson got six? There's a provision in the PED policy that's basically it's a combined violation of a positive test plus one of various other things, an effort to adulterate the test or not cooperate. Maybe he knew he was going to be positive and he, he, he tried to do something and it still was a positive test plus a dilute sample, something like that. They can stack violations and get you for six games. Also, the um, uh, violation of law or, or a provable violation with evidence of, of PED use. You know, your name shows up on a list of guys who bought HGH from a clinic in Florida or something like that. That sets you up now for a six game. Because I, I don't know why that's different than if you just get busted once on a positive test, but if it there's documented evidence that you have obtained and used PEDs, it ends up being six games, but that was what they agreed to the last time around. At the Real Forno, where do you rank my favorite player of all time, Warren Moon? Where do I rank him? Boy, it's one of these ones that I have to think of ahead of time. Among quarterbacks, he's probably somewhere in the top 15 to 20 all time. Maybe 10 to 15. Probably closer 15 to 20. You know, it's hard to do it in isolation. You can say that's a top 10 guy, that's a top 10 guy, that's a top 10 guy. Before you know it, you got 25 top 10 guys. I'd say practical matter 15 to 20. Of quarterbacks. Now, all time, it gets fuzzier. All time, he'd probably be between 50 and 65. But, but again, I'm just, I'm just seat of the pants. Buffalo guy, 83. What's your over-under for LaShawn McCoy's time in Buffalo? Does he go back to the Eagles or join Andy Reid in Kansas City? I think he wants to go back to the Eagles, but the Eagles seem to have a pretty crowded house. It'd be intriguing to see him with the Kansas City Chiefs. There's buzz that they're trying to trade him. My buddy, PFT commenter's dog. My internet son, PFT commenter's dog. How does that, what is the dog to me then? Anyway, Leroy Insider, the account that they've set up for whatever rumors happen to come their way. And they know a lot of people from the interviews they do. It shouldn't be a surprise. There was a swing and a miss last week that LaShawn McCoy was going to be released as soon as whatever day it was, and there were multiple reports indicating that that was incorrect. But that, that, that's the look. I, I, there's a danger in this business when you go with something you hear and you don't vet it and you don't. I mean, I've been doing this 19 years now. The first time I hear something, depending upon who I hear it from, Sometimes I know if I hear it from this person, it's absolutely positively 100% accurate. Other people, if I hear it, I'm going to check it out here. And, and when you have the cover of kind of like a, a joke account, a dog account, whatever, you can put anything out there. 
and you can demand credit for the things that you get right. And if you're wrong, it's like, oh, we're just having fun. And I, I've busted their balls about this before. Because it's really not that hard to gather news. What's hard is gathering the information and figuring out which of it is reliable and accurate and which of it isn't. That's what's hard. Now, they put themselves in a position by virtue of the fact that their podcast is extremely popular and people want to do it. And they've gotten to know people and they text people and they do catch wind of things. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But to take that, that thing that you've caught wind of and turn it into something that is reliable and accurate is not easy. And hey, whatever floats your boat, you want to create an account and throw that stuff out there and you get credit for the things that stick and the things that don't stick. Well, hey, we're just having fun. That's fine. I can't play that. I, 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 uh, and I, and I hope my internet son understands that just because Leroy is woofing about something doesn't mean I'm going to write about it at PFT because as I learned when we killed Terry Bradshaw, even if you're not the one who kills Terry Bradshaw, if you're the one who reports that Terry Bradshaw is dead, you killed Terry Bradshaw. If you're the one that shares a report from someone else that Terry Bradshaw is dead, you killed Terry Bradshaw. It sticks to you. So we, we typically will only aggregate people who have a track record of being right. If you don't have a track record of being right, and we have people we'll remove. There are people who make the list of people we will not use their reports. There are people on it now. People who we will only use their report if there is a second report on the same fact. We have to. That's the biggest takeaway from the time we killed Terry Bradshaw. Because we relied on TV reports coming out of Shreveport, Louisiana, indicating that Terry Bradshaw had passed away. As it turned out, somebody had passed away. Or no, somebody had died on the Terry Bradshaw Passway. If they had just had a different name for that damn road, none of this would have happened. And for me, what I needed to do was pick up the phone, call somebody from Fox. Is Terry Bradshaw dead? No, he's not. Okay, these these. Reports are incorrect. That's what the story should have been. But I was stupid. And that was 2007. I'm still stupid now, but at least I'm less stupid than I was. At Tree True, why don't you film Football Night in America from your home studio? Well, here's why. And uh, trust me, it would be nice to not have to travel. It would be nice to be home all the time. It would be nice to watch the games in my barn. But the way the show works is... We all gather together. Everybody on the show gets in the same room. It's a neat room at NBC that has nine screens in a Brady Bunch type of a grid or Hollywood Squares, whatever dated reference you prefer. Screens off to the side if need be. We now have Red Zone going in one screen. If there's spillover, if there's more than nine games, we have room to accommodate it all. They have a nice spread of food. You go in, you, you, you set your shop, you put your computer out there, you, you, your notepad, whatever it is, and we all collaborate. We're watching the games and we're talking. And through that talking and communicating and, hey, how about that? Hey, how about this? Out of that grows the guts of an hour and a half show. So I can't do that from home. I can't have a role in that. We all have a role in it. It's almost like we're all mini producers of the show. And our ideas end up being distilled and filtered and organized by the producers. So that's why. And it's funny. There's... there's there's, and, and I, I don't, you know, look, I, I know a lot of people don't pay real close attention to the NFL, but there are people who actually think I am at home for Football Night in America. Oh, you go, you still go to New York? I thought you did all that out of your home. Well, yeah, Monday through Friday I do, but when I'm standing next to Mike Tarico, he's not at my house. It's not an optical illusion. 
when I'm sitting at the desk with Rodney and Tony and Mike, I'm actually at the desk. <laughs> There's no CGI involved. So that just tells me people don't pay attention. And that's fine. I don't expect them to. But but it's funny. And, and I guess the lesson from that is if there's somebody that you know, this is a very small subset of the people you would interact with. But if you kind of know somebody's on TV, don't act like you know what's going on if you really don't pay attention. Because the person who, who, who lives it is going to know whether or not you really know or whether or not you're really, you know, you're just trying to be nice. Like, oh, yeah, 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 you do that from your house, don't you? Well, no. And that tells me you don't pay any attention. Oh, man, you're good on ESPN. Oh, really? I, you know, it just shows you how big ESPN is. That happened to me the other night. We had dinner here for Mother's Day, and I went to pick up pasta at the local restaurant, a couple of trays of pasta and carrying it. Guy points at me and goes, ESPN. Close. One letter too many. And I just smile and move on. I don't get irritated about it, but... And I've heard Dan Patrick talk about it. People still think he's at ESPN. I was never there. Other than for a six-month stint with ESPN.com's insider service, which didn't count. So, anyway. What else do we have? At Gears of... Oh, 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 I'm skipping ahead. At Buffalo Guy 83, if the NFL doesn't like the idea of a draft lottery, should they give a one-year cap bonus to teams not picking in the top 10? Super Bowl winner could get an extra 20 to $25 million. Eh, but, but, but why? Why? Nah. I like ideas, but I don't see what the purpose of that would be. At Gears of Ted, is there extra pressure for Matt LaFleur more than any other new head coach? There's more pressure on Freddie Kitchens because the expectations for the Browns are higher than they are for the Packers. And there's no good reason for them to be as high as they are in Cleveland. They haven't even made it to the playoffs yet. At Gears of Ted, who retires first, Brady or Belichick? Brady. Belichick, I think, is going to be compelled to show that he can win without Brady. And Belichick can keep going indefinitely. He's 67. Robert Kraft told me two years ago he wants Belichick to coach into his 80s. Work like Warren Buffett, Rupert Murdoch. Guys who have worked well into their 80s. KST's 13. I have a crazier idea for the draft. Have in during the season, week eight maybe. Give every team the week off. Dump the buys. Don't allow picks to play until week 12. That would help NFL free agency. Yeah, that's... Look... Case these, I appreciate the creativity. They ain't doing the draft during the season. They ain't taking a week off during the season. What, when do you, what, you're going to draft? When do you figure out who the best players are? When do you scout them? At Gears of Ted, what's your favorite TV show post-Seinfeld? It's The Office. Although The Office got very disappointing after Michael Scott left. I'll say this, though. The finale of The Office was better than the finale of Seinfeld. At Dirtbag1327, any inside info on the Patrick Peterson suspension, no doubt related to your story about his possible trade. Well, no, if anything, the idea that he was upset and wanted out of Arizona seems to trace to the fact that the team refused to redo his contract to minimize how much he would lose during his six-game suspension, that that's the heart of it. At Leapers500, couldn't the PFTPM posse meetup be almost accidental? Like if a pile of us go to Pittsburgh and you know that, you could just mosey on up there. I guess so. I still have to be, you know, I. my big concern is this. We're going to set something up and nobody's going to be there. I don't need that extra stress point in my life. I got enough things to worry about. I mean, think about it. I'm not being selfish here. I'm being realistic. We set up a PFTPM posse meetup. I, I, I rent out a hall somewhere. I account for, I don't know how many do we even account for. 
we come up with some sort of a way that, you know, there'll be money generated to pay for the cost of the thing and the excess goes to charity and, you know, it's me and two other people. So I just don't know how practical it is. I try to be very self-aware of how I fit in this broader media landscape. It's not like I can do a tour city to city and have more than three people show up. I could do something in Minneapolis, I think. I've thought about doing that, doing something with Paul Allen where we do something at Mancini's and we fill up the room and have a good old time and drink some wine, the glass filled all the way to the top. I've thought about doing that, but even then, like, is it worth it? Like, I, I, I don't need to do that. I've got this microphone here. I don't need to go perform in person. And trust me, it's very different when you have a crowd there than when you're talking into a microphone. Very different. We do this NBC event with advertisers the Monday night after Mother's Day every year, and they give you a microphone and say, go talk, and we go talk. And it's very different when the people are in the room. It's very different when people are reacting to your hot takes in real time. A lot of Giants fans in the room, when I trotted out my Daniel Jones, I think is starting week one. They didn't agree with that. There was some murmuring. But you know what? Two years ago, I said, I think the Eagles are going to win the division. And they murmured. And the Eagles won the Super Bowl that year. So, you know. But but still, when the audience can, when you can hear the, oh, God. Oh, really? It, it, definitely, it definitely infringes on your ability to keep making your point in a cogent and effective way. Fittis and Kane, how much pressure is Andy Reid under? Obviously, the Chiefs have had a lot of success in the time he's been there, but the Eagles had a lot of success with him too, and they eventually parted ways. Will the Chiefs eventually do the same if he keeps knocking but can't kick the door in? I think at some point there's going to be a sense of urgency. As Andy Reid gets older, as they keep spinning the wheel and not getting to the Super Bowl, this team hasn't been to the Super Bowl since 1969, the 69-70 season, Super Bowl IV. This is the 50th anniversary of their last Super Bowl appearance. They have underachieved. They've been good, but not good enough for way too many years. And look, at some point there will be an A-plus list coach who wants to coach Patrick Mahomes. And Clark Hunt, the owner of the team, at some point will say, I, I have to bring somebody in that I think can get even more out of Patrick Mahomes and the team around him, unless Andy Reid does it. And I'm not saying he won't, but at some point they'll get to that point. At Reverend Markworth, when players wait to have surgery so that it cuts into OTAs and minicamp, like it seems to have done with the two Indianapolis players, is it just a coincidence or are they doing it to stay away legitimately? I, I Look, I, I don't know. I mean, I think players like to avoid surgery. So the season ends, they take a little time, they get it evaluated, they figure it all out, and, and it is what it is. I don't know that anybody is deliberately avoiding a surgery they need so that they can legitimately avoid off-season workouts. Would it, would it be naive to say it doesn't happen? Yes, it would be naive to say it doesn't happen. At the C.J. Newman, what was your favorite cartoon growing up? Oh, man. L let, me, let me take you back to the early 70s. Back in the early 70s, the only time the cartoons were on, other than, there, there was an exception, they would have these movies that they would play that, you know, like syndicated, like what, what, afternoon movie. And sometimes the movie didn't fill the whole time. And they would fill with a Bugs Bunny cartoon. And that was like finding a $20 bill in your, in your you know, old pair of pants you haven't worn for a while. That was always a thrill. That unexpected Bugs Bunny cartoon. And you had the channel on, and it was almost some monster movie. Late afternoon, the channel out of Youngstown, Ohio. 
and the movie ended, and it's it's oh it's 5:52. We got some time here, and you waited for that whatever the song is. Anyway, I used to love the Bugs Bunny cartoons. I was big into the Flintstones, although they weren't a Saturday morning cartoon. I'm going to tell you a story I shared with the barn crew the other night. I was five years old. And again, you had three hours on Saturday morning to watch cartoons. I remember I was a big fan of H.R. Puff and stuff. That was part of the NBC Saturday morning lineup. Land of the Lost was part of it. You know, they they graduated from cartoons to these live action shows. But I was big into that. That and, and you know when and I remember the new cartoons would come out in September, the new lineup, and you got one channel. What do you watch? Oh, I have to choose something. I got three choices: CBS, ABC, NBC, and I'm watching the one on ABC and I'm missing the one on NBC. It was a great source of stress for a five-year-old. But I remember when when I was four, we moved out to the suburbs. We had lived in downtown Wheeling in an apartment. Parents bought a house. I'm five years old. Have my own bedroom, and there's one bathroom in the house. It's upstairs. So. I can't believe I'm telling this story. So I'm five years old. I, I still remember it vividly. Wake up. And it's like every Saturday was Christmas morning because that was the only day of the week you could watch cartoons. And it was time to have a bowl or two or three of cereal that you would carry in. I remember that. I have a, a vivid image of making the bowl of cereal, pouring the milk all the way up to the top and trying to carry it ever so gingerly so the milk didn't spill. And most of the time, the milk didn't spill, but sometimes it did. You take it in, you put it on the carpet and you just start eating that thing. And you know, the next commercial break, you go get another bowl and you're, you've got your supply of sugar for the entire weekend and then you crash at some point in the afternoon. But here, here's my point. Wake up, so excited to watch the cartoons, run downstairs to watch the cartoons. Five years old, run downstairs to watch the cartoon. And when I got downstairs, I realized I forgot to do something before I came downstairs. I forgot to empty the five-year-old bladder. So at the age of five, I decided it was a good idea to just pee in the garbage can. (laughs) And I remember doing it. Now, at the time, the American garbage can, the can itself has not changed much. The in-house can, the plastic in-house can, the outdoor can has changed dramatically. It used to be those metal cans, and I still see those every once in a while, and I smile. You get the big, giant green can now that you could, like, you know, bury someone in. But it's the same plastic can 50 years ago that we have now. But instead of having the the white or the green or the clear liner that you could stretch over the top and seal it all off, people used the paper bag that you would get at the grocery store. They used to bag groceries in those paper bags before they went plastic and destroyed the environment, and Chris Sims would go off on that for 20 minutes, but it was the, 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 the brown bag. You would put the brown bag in the garbage can in the kitchen. You would fill it up with garbage. You would take the brown bag out to your metal garbage can with the the old school garbage can with the metal lid. You could take the two lids off and clang them together like symbols. I used to do that. So anyway, I pissed in the garbage can. And I don't know how many times I did it before I heard my mom while she was taking the brown bag out saying, why is this wet? Fortunately, she didn't say, why does this smell like piss? (laughs) But, But at that point... 
I either began to remember to pee before I went downstairs, or if I did make it down the steps, I was willing to make that apparently very demanding hike back up all those steps. I don't know, maybe it is daunting when you're a kid. Yeah, I was kind of fat when I was little. Maybe I'm thinking it's like climbing Mount Everest to go back upstairs. I'm only good for going upstairs once a day, folks. I've already come down. I ain't going back up. I'm just going to piss in the garbage can. And I don't know how many times I actually pissed in the garbage can. I know I did it more than once because I, I spent some time thinking I had cracked the code here. And almost to the point where I don't have to remember. Like the first time it was like, oh shit, I forgot to pee. I'll just pee in the garbage can. And then I did it enough times that it was just, yeah, it's just part of the ritual. It becomes part of your thing. You know, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. Once I adopt that, once I adjust to that behavior, get up, go downstairs, piss in the garbage can, make your bowl of cereal, and walk in gingerly to the living room and watch H.R. Puff and stuff or whatever the hell was on. I need to do some research to see what the TV lineup was for cartoons back in 70, 71, 72. So anyway... Kids out there, don't piss in the garbage can. But you know, in a house with one toilet, like, oh, these houses got more toilets now. Back in the 70s, the house we lived in, you had one toilet. Now, we did have the other toilet that was just kind of standalone in the basement. Like, why is there a toilet here? At least it was kind of in the corner. But it's just like, there's a toilet. Like, hey, you go down. The, I remember the first time we went to the house. And nothing was in the house. And we're walking around the house. I'm four years old. It's like, there's just a, there's a toilet over there. There's no sink. There's no door. There's nothing. There's just a toilet. It's like a, a prison cell. Just, hey, there's a toilet. So we got some kind of a, you know, the, what's that thing like they, the, 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 you get dressed behind that folds up. I don't know what it's called. Whatever that thing's called. That kind of would block it off so you'd have some privacy. So you could use that toilet. But that, that was, you know, then I was going to have to go down to the basement. And God knows, you know, how the scary in the basement. I have to come back up the basement steps. And I, I once took a header off the basement steps and landed skull first on the concrete and actually passed out and came to when the doctor was at the house and I was four or five and that may explain a lot of things today boy I spent a lot of time talking about pissing in a garbage can at the CJ Newman will there be PFT PM when you're on your forced leave yes that's how it all got started but there's more uh, there's a few more questions Jerry Bissett, with real perceived poor officiating, the modern athlete being faster, stronger, et cetera, technology, how it is, wouldn't it be prudent and make sense to have replay technology as a big part of officiating in every sport? Yes! I've been saying that for years. Absolutely. Andrew One Mountain, 1MT, do you think you'd ever want to be a GM? No! <laughs> no! No! I can do what I'm doing now forever. Until I die. Or until I decide to stop doing it. Once you go work for somebody else in that capacity, because even if NBA, NBC would tell me tomorrow, you know what, this just isn't working. It really wouldn't shock me if they would do that. I still own my business. I could still generate revenue. I could come up with ways to make money. They can't take it away from me. They can't stop me from doing the job. They can stop paying me, but they can't stop me from doing the job. You go work for somebody as a GM, you get fired. What do you do next? How many GMs ever get hired again? Has there ever been? Well, there has to have been at least one. A GM who comes back and is a GM again. In recent years, once you're fired, you are done. You don't get a second bite at the apple. As a coach, you do. As a GM, it is rare that you get a second opportunity to be a GM again. Dave Gettleman got a second opportunity. That's a recent one. It does not happen very often. Usually, you just go back to being a scout, mid-level guy, director of college scouting, director of pro scouting, VP of player personnel, consultant, whatever. But you get that one opportunity to be a GM. 
typically. And once that goes away, you're done. At Dirtbag1327, how did you feel when Chris Sims was attracted to your gender swap Snapchat filter pick? He looked like John Benet Ramsey. I, I had to sneeze. I hope the cough button worked. I guess I could call it a sneeze button, too. It's supposed to make the mic go mute. Anyway, yeah, I, I was creeped out by it. I was creeped out by the photo. I was creeped out by what Sims said. And then I looked at the photo, and I thought, my God, I look like my mother. My sister and my niece agreed. Andrew 1MT, what does everyone see in Adam Gase? He hasn't exactly proven himself anywhere to warrant that amount of trust. I agree with you. I think he he did a great job as a assistant. Remember, he went several years where he resisted becoming a head coach. He didn't think he was ready. And made it to the playoffs his first year with the Dolphins. But the two years after that, a bit of a struggle. Now, Now, part of that may be that he was dealing with an inherently dysfunctional team in Miami, but... Yeah, this is it for him, I think. Either this works well and he ends up coaching the Jets for the next 20 years or it flames out and he goes back to being an assistant coach again. All right, that's it for today. Another one hour and 15 minute or so edition of the PFTPM podcast. I read both of my ad spots so I can check those boxes. We may or may not do one tomorrow. We'll see what's going on news-wise. This is three for the week. I think this time of year, three for the week is a good tangible, reachable, practical goal. I think you can do without one on Friday. If something big happens tomorrow, we'll do it. But for now, let's plan to reconvene on Monday. We will get together again, though, for PFT Live tomorrow. Big Cat will be in the studio in Connecticut. I'll do PFTOT on my own afterwards, so you'll have plenty of content. There'll be profootballtalk.com posts all weekend long, so you have that going for you, and it's all free, so you're always destined to get your money's worth so enjoy your evening spend some time with your family don't piss in the garbage can or, or maybe just try it you know what just try it to see if your mom notices i'm tempted to try it to see if my wife would notice that i've pissed in the garbage can i i think it's harder to notice given that you've got the plastic liner now like when you've got the that paper bag, eventually the liquid's going to seep through the trash to the paper bag, and the paper bag's going to be wet. You could probably get away with pissing in the garbage can. You know, it's a shame I grew up in the era I did, or I could have pissed in the garbage can indefinitely, and my mom never would have noticed. Anyway, don't piss in the garbage can. Piss in the garbage can. It's up to you. Report back to me tomorrow as to whether or not you actually pissed in the garbage can. And I'll know that you listened by the number of tweets that I see about whether or not you ever have, have considered, or plan to urinate in a garbage can. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.